0: I've been serving for 20 years mm. and I'm coming up on the end of my career and I've been able to take the energy that I have available to me and go aggressively into real estate and do 300 plus flips by 200 doors plus a commercial multifamily. And those are just like the real estate stats that I think people want to hear. But I'm also going to hit my 18th year of marriage this year, awesome. which is probably my most favorite stat.
1: Choose to do what you want, what you want, with who you want, with who you want, when you want, when you want, with another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. Man, the myth, the Whitney. What's up, Adam Whitney? How are you, buddy? What's up, man? Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to dive in today. We've got a bunch of mutual buddies my friend, our mutual friend, Dave Parade, John Lalonde. So we've got a lot of uh, mutuals, man. So I'm excited to dive into your story, your service, everything that you've been doing in real estate. So I'll let you have the floor here to introduce yourself. Who is Adam Whitney?
0: Yeah, man, I think first and foremost, people know that I'm still an active duty Marine and I'm a real estate investor, business owner and coach. The big thing for me is I've been serving for 20 years mm. and I'm coming up on the end of my career and I've been able to take the energy that I have available to me and go aggressively into real estate and do 300 plus flips by 200 doors plus a commercial multifamily and Those are just like the real estate stats that I think people want to hear. But I'm also going to hit my 18th year of marriage this year, which is probably my most favorite stat. And I've got two beautiful kids, 10 and six years old, and I'm just loving life, man. I think
1: this is an interesting topic to hit on because especially from your perspective, a lot of high performers that are in their jobs, in their corporate careers, whatever they're doing... I'm assuming that you guys listening are high performers, I'm assuming that you if you're listening to a podcast on entrepreneurship, you want to go do your own thing, which means that you're good at the thing that you do. So a lot of the military guys, right? So you retire and I'm sure you'll get like pension and payments from that, correct? So that'll support you financially. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you're still wanting to work. You're still wanting to go. You're still wanting to do things, build things, grow and improve. So. Walk me through this. You're finishing up this 20-year career, this military career, and you still want to keep going. Why?
0: Yeah. So here, I have fallen in love with the journey. I'll give you an example that is physical, right? So we're all mind, body, and spirit. Your life is all connected, right? Connected to your happiness, connected to all kinds of things. But a good example from the military is why you see these guys a lot of military guys become successful in business and entrepreneurship is because they've done really hard stuff in their life and made it to the other side. And you start to fall in love with doing the really hard stuff because you know what's on the other side. You put a 100-pound pack on, which it does, you can't even imagine it as it comes out of my mouth. But I've had... And many military guys have had the 100-pound pack on their back. And you walk for 15 miles in boots and utilities, like the camouflage utilities, and you make it to the end of that, that's a big feat. What people don't realize is during those 15 miles, your mind is telling you, "Ah, this hurts. You should stop. Do you really need to make it to the end? Could you just get in the safety vehicle? And when you learn to defeat your mind and make it through the hard stuff to the euphoria of, "I, I did that. I completed that. I'm capable of that. I think that's really what sets me and other guys up for success. You fall in love with the journey and that's what it's been for me is I love business. I love real estate. I love bringing other people with me on the journey. I love lifting up my inner circle. So yeah, man, I'm just, I really, I truly enjoy it. It's hard. I have ups and downs like everybody else. We have money that comes, sometimes we lose money, sometimes we make a ton of money. It's not easy and I just love it.
1: Yeah, the reason that I ask is because this is an idea that I really want to reinforce for people because some people have this idea that financial freedom is the end. And in my opinion, financial freedom is the beginning. It's like life begins there. Like your life really begins there. And then you can start asking the the proper questions. What am I here to do? How am I here to serve? Like my family, the community, the world at large, what impact am I here to provide? And the irony, and I want to let you riff on this because it, it piggybacks exactly off of what you're saying is, once you become the type of person that is capable of retiring, air quotes, financially, you're incapable of retiring emotionally and mentally. What are your thoughts on that?
0: If I said, hey, I have enough cash to not get up and go to work and exchange my time for money, what would I do? There are certainly people <laughs> who will move to Maui, people we know and just surf every day. That's cool, but for me, that's not it. That's not the impact I want to make. Here, here's the other thing too that people don't talk about is what my what my drive to, to make impact is going to be different than other people. I'm mm-hmm. super fortunate. My family unit has been with me my entire Marine Corps year or career. And they've been through some pretty wild, challenging times with me. I'm moving 20 times in my career, deploying for six, seven months at a time. So they're incredibly resilient and supportive. If you are a nine to five guy and you got to come home, take the trash out every day and do your chores and you decide to do crazy entrepreneur stuff, maybe a bigger challenge for you. But for me, and my family's super supportive. So I'm just blessed to be able to do the things that I want to do in the entrepreneurship and business world.
1: I think it's an interesting conversation about the topic of enough, right? Because on these shows, it, people ask. You, we just had my buddy Aaron Amuchastegui talk in Costa Rica, and we just posted his keynote for people that haven't heard it on the podcast. It was last week or two, and he's got over 800 single-family rentals. He's bringing in probably hundred thousand dollars a month passively, and it's just like at the point where even he says, he's, I'm never going to have enough. There is no enough for me because he's fallen so in love with the journey and with entrepreneurship and with the grind and the hustle that there is no material number that's going to just hang up with the shoes. He's just going to keep going. And that's just the recurring theme that I'm seeing across everyone. So it's, I always love talking to the the military guys because you, you're a perfect example and metaphor of
0: this. And so I tell people all the time, hey, look, in your business, you should look to hire military people. They don't work oftentimes to a time. They don't show up at eight and leave at five because that's when they clock in and out. They work until mission accomplishment. Their mindset is different. My mindset is different. And the goal is just is a compass to get it to go a direction and move me in that direction. If I hit that goal, great. I'll probably have another goal. And I've had the thing I get asked most is, how do you do it all? Like, how is that possible? You can be an active duty Marine and do all that, which there's all kinds of reasons it is possible. But the other thing is they're like, when are you ever going to be satisfied? I'm like, I am satisfied. I love this. This is satisfying. It is satisfying building and achieving and failing and reiterating To me, that's that at this point, I'm 37 years old. I'm not that old. I was not put on this earth to sit at the beach and do nothing. Mm -hmm. I'm here to make an impact. And I did that early in my life in the military for the first 20 years of adulthood, which I'm coming to an end on next summer. And now I found this other thing that I'm super passionate about, which is business and real estate. And that's where I'm making an impact now. Obviously, making an impact in your family, in your close circle of family and friends. That's a constant in your life. Mm-hmm. So show of hands, who all is listening and then everything that Adam's talking about,
1: you're just like, yep, <laughs> that's me. Yep. Hit the nail on the head right there. So to land the plan on this conversation and kind of to to wrap all this up, this conversation of why even began it, so we'll end it here, is since there is no enough and since there will be no finish line, then... I feel the people that the difference between people that live a happy life versus people that live a shitty life is simply how much they enjoy doing the thing, doing the stuff, doing the hard work. Like how much do you enjoy climbing that mountain? Because the mountaintop moments has been a phrase that keeps getting brought up in my life over and over again, and I've been talking about it to where we always are searching for these little peak instagrammable moments where it's, I got the promotion, I did the thing, I quit the job, I became a millionaire hired my first employee, whatever have you. And we're addicted to these moments, but they're so short lived. And do you have any examples of these? I'm sure you have hundreds.
0: <laughs> yeah. Ton, tons of examples in the military and out of the military. But the one that's the easiest one is like when you become a millionaire. There's no mariachi band. Oh, there's no band. It's what the like hell? one day the banks, I need a personal financial statement and you do it and you're like, huh? Oh yeah, I'm a millionaire. And then you submit it to the bank and then it's a fleeting moment, literally in 2 seconds. It's gone. It's irrelevant. Yeah. But 2 or 3 years before that, you were like excited about becoming a millionaire. Now you're just excited about something else. So I think that's I think that's a big one. One other interesting thing is we're in this time where information is available about anything to everyone. And you have a a huge influencer community, which is both powerful and good, but also can infect and influence people in a negative way. Mm -hmm. And what they do, what we see is people create these dichotomies, right? Like you have on one side, you have the hustle, grind hard side. And then on the other side, you have the like Mr. Money Mustache type, like retire, drive the Prius. Yeah, I have, I'm making 2000 bucks passively and I live on a thousand dollars a month side. So there's, there's these dichotomies. And the reality is it, those are good models and good frameworks and good things to see people like you and Dave and Brandon Turner and all the big names who are good, big influencers. But that doesn't have to be your life. That doesn't have to be what makes you happy. I think that's really important is to decide w- what makes you happy, which is why when people are like, are you ever gonna be satisfied? I'm just like, dude, I am so satisfied right now. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm love I love my life. I literally love my life. I think,
1: I think so many podcasts are focused and so many like books, everything, all the information we'll just categorize it as capital I information in general, is they're too focused on finding satisfaction, finding happiness, finding fulfillment, finding purpose, passion in the wrong side of the equation. I think that they're looking for it after the equal sign where they're like, this plus this equals this. And they're like, okay, that's what happiness is on that side of the equation. But the reality is it's all the shit that's between the pluses. <laughs> that's that's the happiness side. And that's everything that we're talking about. And I like that you mentioned all these different strategies when it comes to financial freedom and everything, where you've got one side is the, you know, what they call fat fire, which is you can do whatever you want. And then the other side is lean fire, which is living off of beans and rice, which I hate that. We don't talk about that at all in this podcast. And that's my issue with the fire community. But I'm curious, an issue that I ran into when I was leaving my job, and I'm really curious about how your kind of military brain reacts to this, is I have just very recently started to unravel the idea that working harder equals more money. And I'm sure that you probably ran through this too. But in my job, I was like, I work harder, I get better, I make more money. Then when you own your own company and your own business, it's like you can't hustle and grind your way to a million dollars a year to 10 million. You have to start using leverage and working in a different way to where just because you're like, it doesn't mean you have to work 12, 14 hour days. Maybe you could do it in six. I'm curious about your journey through this, of becoming a business owner after being a high performer in the military, because that same lesson and friction there applies to people that are high performers in whatever they're doing.
0: Yeah, I think there's a capacity for all humans, right? All humans have a capacity. Some have a vast capacity and some a much more smaller capacity. And when you're talking about building a business, typically relatively complex, right? Every business has like a marketing and sales component, an operations component, and an HR and a finance component, regardless of industry. And those are different widgets inside of a business that need to be built out and operate in a seamless fashion. So, with like, you can't do all of those, you Mm -hmm. can for a short period of time with duct tape and bubble gum but eventually in order to build it, like a legitimate business where it's actually operating and you're not sitting in 12 different seats you've got to leverage people so you have time money and people those are your three resources for leverage and oftentimes that's what's required so for me being in the military like we're heavily leveraged we are we operate on a 3 to 1 leader to lead ratio What that means is, Brian, if you're in my if you're in my company and I'm the company commander, typically about 200 people in it underneath me, I have three to four subordinate leaders and underneath you, you have three to four subordinate leaders and underneath them, they have three to four subordinate leaders. And this goes all the way down to the four man team from the 200 person company down to the four man team. Think about how leveraged that is. Right. You as a business owner you as a commander have only so much capacity, right? So I only have four, if I'm a company commander, I only have four platoon commanders underneath me that I am leading through and helping them to become the best leaders. And then they're leading their three or four squad leaders who are then leading their three or four team leaders. So it's heavily leveraged in their complex military operations. So you need resources to do that. And one of them is people, very much people. So it's the same in business. If you ever look at a business's organizational chart, if you follow traction, they call it an accountability chart. And even if you follow what Gina Wickman says in traction, you have this accountability chart, your business, whether or not you have people in the seats, your business has all those seats in it. It just has your name next to it. So it's indicating to you that there is leverage to be had in your business if you so choose to take advantage of it. So... I get really irritated. Why
1: are there 400, 500, 4,000 real estate podcasts that keep talking over and over again about how to do deals? Where they're like, here's how to underwrite a multifamily property. Here's how to submit an LOI. Here's how to do this. Here's how to do a flip. Why does nobody talk about this stuff? How to build a team? Because we're all talking about passive income so much and it really is starting to piss me off because I'm in this game. and my real estate episodes perform better than my business episodes but what people don't realize is the business skills are what yield the
0: passive income otherwise it's not passive you're doing it yeah you you're right and the what's crazy is when i talk to people about real estate i can give you an exact blueprint right or when even a different business, even a different industry, you're talking about growth, scale, doing something new, getting a deal, any kind of a deal is people think there's only one way. The reality is making a deal happen requires a certain level of creativity in a lot of different cases. And all of the deals we've transacted, almost no two are the same. They all, we had to make things happen to get the deal done. And there's this like linear desire for like perfect information, which is, I think, what really causes people a lot of problems. We in the military talk about something called Boyd's OODA loop. So John Boyd, fighter pilot, OODA loop. Yeah, this is amazing. And there's some like really great studies on this and thermodynamics, but the observe, orient, decide and act in the military. So you're observing, you're seeing the things come in. You're orienting on it based on your heuristics, your upbringing, your experience, your skills. You're making sense of that information based off of what you know. And then you're making a decision and then you're acting. You and I both know the people who are winning in business and real estate and a lot of these things are action takers. Now, we might take action and mess it up. We also have to have a little bit of craziness in us so that fear doesn't stop us from acting. But the point is you go through the OODA loop cycle. Okay, I now just took action. It didn't go well. I'm my orientation has changed because now I have a new experience. So now I'm observing again. I'm iterating smarter deciding and acting again. So taking action. I, I People think this is a tagline on these podcasts. And I've heard you say it multiple mm-hmm. times, like the action takers, man, this is the action academy, right? You've got to take action. You will make mistakes. That's okay. It's okay to do that. So I don't know if I took you in a way different direction there, but I'm, I'm fairly passionate about decision making and actually taking action.
1: No, I love that. And there's this quote that is like one of my favorite quotes right now, because like, it plays perfectly. I think I'm going to make like merch with it, but it's vision without action is a daydream. Action without vision is a nightmare. So right. that plays perfectly into what you're talking about. And I actually have, <laughs> it's not a cool story, but it's a story that it implements exactly what you're talking about. It like, shows exactly what you're talking about. So I learned about the OODA loop when I was traveling in Italy. And when I was forgetting what book it was in, but I was just like, "Ooh, what a cool feedback loop, because we need some type of framework in order when we do take an action or we get smacked in the face, because that's where the OODA loop came from as fighter pilots. So when you're in a dogfight, you need to be able to orient and move left. Otherwise, it's like life or death. So you need life to be able death. to have a framework so you can operate really fast and, and adapt to changing environments. So I remember I read that I was literally at breakfast, I was drinking a cappuccino, I went back to my Airbnb. Airbnb host does not live there. I do not have the key to my Airbnb. I left it inside the Airbnb in Milan. And I was like, I can't get into my Airbnb. And there's no one that's going to come and get me in this Airbnb. And then I immediately started freaking out. I was like, there goes my day. (laughs) And it's just, this is just such a small example. But then I had just read about the OODA loop in real life. This is a real life example. I said, okay, hold on a sec. Let's observe. Let's orient. Like, all right. So do I need to freak out about this? Does this need to derail my day? And then I was like, no. Okay. Did I even lock the main door? I don't think I did. So I was like, if I just wait here, somebody will probably walk in or out of the main door and I can get into my apartment. And sure enough, like a minute later, somebody come up, comes out the door. I'm able to go in again to my apartment. So Perfect. this is a cool example. It's such a small thing, but that's relatable in real life to where in business it's that one thing that pisses you off like maybe in the beginning it'll derail your week then it derails a day then it derails an hour then it derails i've got it down to about 5 minutes <laughs> right? yeah and so it's a really
0: cool muscle to build and that's exactly what it is it's a muscle right yeah absolutely i mean i think that's that it's so important there the people that you see on social media, on TV, on this is what's influencing your life. But these people are doing that. They're iterating. They're making decisions. They're making mistakes. They're getting better. One other thing that Boyd said in his, if you read his book, it's called Boyd, the fighter pilot. Oh, I'm going to read it. He talks a lot about he was almost anti-institution, anti-corporate, right? And he (laughs) basically said, you can either be or you can do. He could have continued to get promoted climbing the corporate ladder, but he couldn't get done what he wanted to achieve. So he decided he was going to do, and he would sacrifice the ability to become a general officer because he wanted to make this massive impact, which he did, not only in the Air Force and the fighter pilot world, but in all of the Department of Defense. And we come in conflict with this a lot because we're on podcasts, we're on social media, and it's it's evil. It fills your ego. It just fills your ego up, and you start to want to be. But really, those who have done become anyways, and they get further because they're focused on doing the thing that makes them happy, that makes them money, that they enjoy doing, and they're not worried about all the noise. So I really like that part about what John Boyd said, too.
1: Okay, I'm 1,000% buying that book. And another context to that, it doesn't really, so there's be versus do. So then there's another concept called being energy versus doing energy. And it's funny because it's the inverse of what you're talking about. So I 1000% agree with that, with what you said, but with being and doing energy, it ties back to my point in the very very beginning, where I asked you, with that guy that's a hard guy or girl that's a hard charging corporate worker coming out, it sounds like the military. You guys had a better better training, obviously, on operating as a team, operating as a unit. But in corporate, there's a lot of bloat and a lot of unnecessary. I don't know if anyone can name a manager that's really necessary. Where they're like, oh, okay, like this person has got a very crucial role in my company. That's working a corporate job right now, and so when you leave. You're just used to acting your way, like doing, a lot of doing energy. You just go, okay, I'm just going to burst through these walls. But then for me, a pivot that I've had to take recently, this last year, is we're so busy doing that we never take time to just be. And then that's where that being energy comes, where you do slow down and it's actually advantageous because then you're like, okay, let me pause for a second and ask, start asking these questions. What am I actually doing here? So when we're talking about like orienting, people forget that part. <laughs> and so yeah. I had to sit there, especially and that you'll come to that point too when you do finish. And I'm sure you came to a point where three years ago when you were starting your real estate company and you were just like, okay, what am I going to do after this? And so when I left my career, I was like, what am I doing next? And those answers don't come to you when you're running 100 miles an hour. Like Those answers come to you when you get quiet and get still. And then that's like the being energy. So that's, it doesn't correlate with exactly what you said, but it's just another concept, like context of being and doing that I think is really interesting.
0: Yeah. No, it's just, it's metacognition, thinking about mm. thinking, right? So <laughs> yeah, yeah. taking some time to go, where is my mind at right now? What am I doing? What am I, how am I thinking? What am I thinking about? And is it really aligned with where I'm trying to go? Or am I just running in the mud? Because we get that way too, right? Yeah. We think we're going in the right direction. We're making all this progress. And then we step back. We're like, what are we doing here? Kill this whole project. It's wasting our time. And I've had that. And those are setbacks. And that's that's the way it goes. But that's the journey. Yeah. The coolest framework
1: I've found for this is uh, a book called 12 Week Year by Brian Moran. Brian Moran. Yeah. yeah Brian's been on the podcast. He, he's, a, he's an awesome guy. So People that are unfamiliar, 12-week year, uh, you basically take, instead of making your goals for the entire year, you do them in 12 weeks, and then a quarter is 13 weeks. So you do them in 12 weeks, and then they take the 13th week to rest and to celebrate. So that's what I'm about to do here upcoming. It's going to be a little timed off differently from when I started my 12-week. It's not going to be perfectly correlated with Q4, but I'm going to Iceland for a week, and that's my week off. And I'm awesome. going to say, okay, cool. Let me just chill out for a week and reflect back on what did I do last quarter? What did I do wrong? What do I need to change about that guy from last quarter to yield a different result in this quarter? Because a lot of times you can set these new goals, but you don't have the environment, the systems, or the standards to support those goals. So I'm curious with your military background, do you have any advice on this for people?
0: Yeah, I think one of the biggest lessons I learned, so there's the kind of start into real estate where you're just trying to get a deal, you get a little cash flowing rental or something, and it's exciting. When you start to build it out as a business, you start to understand what's required to measure and monitor your business. And Mm -hmm. in many cases, similar to the 12-week year, you have to have kind of goals and sub goals with key performance indicators, both lag and lead indicators. Mm -hmm. and you have an annual you in the military we plan big to small same thing in business you just don't call it that right i do a i have a 10 year vision a 3 year vision and a 1 year plan and then i break those down into quarters with specific action items per quarter and then i'm measuring those action items with key performance indicators so on a weekly basis i can literally say are we is our azimuth pointed in the right direction Mm -hmm. Is it pointed in the direction of our one year plan? And is it taking us closer to our three and 10 year goals? Right. If you want to, if you are building a business and you want to go that far, right. Yeah. I I totally agree with you. I love the 12 week year. We, that's how we operate in our business. We, I did a workshop with Brian Moran a couple of years ago in Colorado. It was phenomenal. So, yeah, I'm with you on it 100%.
1: Yeah, another military quote I like is two is one and one is none. <laughs> <laughs> so that's been something I've been actively doing right now too. my business coach. There, Sometimes you go, you go months and months with a coach and then you're starting to wonder, okay, what am I getting out of this? What are we working towards here? And then all of a sudden that one thing comes up and you're like, oh, there it is. That's it. That's why. And for us recently, it was back to the org chart because I've got one rock star, Caitlin, that runs our community. She does everything for the community, and then I'm spearheading the growth, being the visionary. She's the integrator, essentially. And so my coach was like, "What happens if Caitlin gets sick?" And I was just like, "I don't know." Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> like we get We're a in giant, trouble. we get a thousand man prayer circle going. <laughs> 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 just start like going after it. So I was like, "Uh oh." That's a hole in the org chart bench positions. So it's who do we have as a backup here just in case something goes wrong. And that's worst case, best case, they're there for support. So that was something I didn't even think to plan for. So now we're actively hiring for another executive assistant role to fill that. Has there been any instances in your business that you can think of where you've started seeing these gaps in your org chart or any advice that you can give to people
0: on org chart formation? Yeah, I think... When you're starting and you're hiring at first, number one is you're hiring what your business needs. So you're looking at two things like, what if you've ever seen the elevate and delegate charts? Am I good at and love doing? What am I good at and don't love doing? What am I bad at and love doing? What am I bad at and don't love doing? You need to know yourself first. And then you look at your business and go, where are my choke points? Like, what can I, who can I hire today? To move the revenue forward, to move whatever it is forward, and for us, I saw that in sales specifically. It's super hard to hire good salespeople. It's super hard to keep good salespeople, and then it's really hard to build an entire sales team. Which in our real estate business, where we do marketing to find off-market deals, that's part of our that's part of what we do. Yeah, I, at one point, I had a salesperson, and if that person's not producing, the business isn't eaten. That's a scary place to be. So I had to go and find a who. We we use a hiring method that really comes out of a book called Who by Jeff Schwartz or something like that. It's uh it's called Who. It talks to you about exactly how to hire, how to the different interviews you should do, and what kind of questions you should have. So we've implemented that. We've also implemented another, like we have a culture index survey, which is like a personality profile, lets us know that we're getting the right profile for the right seat. Say more on the Culture Index. Okay, Culture Index. Culture Index is a company that you get an executive advisor and it has this metapsychological type personality test. It takes 15 minutes, but it has these profiles that are specific to you. It's set when you're 12 years old. And you might, Brian, you might have a sales profile with, if we're talking about DISC, which most people know, low mm-hmm. detail, high I, high D, right? Mm-hmm. So you might have a sales profile profile Culture Index is more dialed in, more accurate. If I try to put you in a a transaction coordinator seat where you're doing mundane stuff, detail-oriented stuff over and over, your resume could look good. You could interview well for that. But if your personality profile doesn't fit that, you won't stay in that position and you won't be happy. I want you to be doing your best work in something that you're tailor-made for. So Culture Index is a tool we use for that. So we use that tool on the front end to screen people. Get the right personality profile then we take them through multiple interviews and if it's sales we're going to do role playing and stuff like that just to see what their capability is and then we're hiring them into our company with good one two-week onboarding and a good 90-day plan so for like i'm
1: asking this because i'm literally in real life that's why it's adorable that i thought that i knew things before i had a business (laughs) I was reading the books and I was just like, oh, yeah, this makes sense for sure. And I ran this podcast for a year before I actually ran a business. And it's funny because you're saying this. and I'm like the call I have after this, what I'm emailing right now to push back 10 minutes so we could talk a little bit more about this is literally an interview for my executive assistant. <laughs> so I'm doing I'm going to do the thing that we're talking about right now on this podcast in 10 minutes. So. Is culture index is is this something that you can do one off a la carte or is this something that's an entire?
0: It's you you hire them and you pay for their system on an annual basis and then you go through the training. If they're watching this on YouTube, you can see it's pretty extensive. You can see that's like that's a a whole binder. Yeah, it's a whole like understanding how to read the personality and who somebody is so that you're you're hiring the right person. It will tell you. It's, if you're the Alabama football coach and you're looking for a running back, you got to be 6'2", 220 pounds. It's not going to tell you what their character is like, what their ethics are like, what their skill sets are like, but it is going to tell you if they're 6'2", and 220 pounds. Are they the right fit for that position from a personality perspective? The rest of your hiring process is going to tell you, looking at the resume, have you jumped around from jobs, there's a whole myriad of good and great questions. And when, I, when we interview, we go way back. We ask questions like, tell me what you were known for in elementary school. Mm. We ask questions like, who's the person you most admired when you were a kid and why? And the reason we ask that question is because if I say to you, Brian, Brian, I really admired my father. He worked incredibly hard. That tells you what they value. I value hard work. Me personally, I value hard work. I'm talking to you about my father and what I thought was amazing about him. But really what I'm telling you is I value hard work. So when they answer that question, it gives you insight into who they are. Wow.
1: Okay. Are there any other surveys or assessments outside of DISC? I know DISC, so I'm already submitting them through DISC profiles. Yeah. Are there any other assessments that are a la carte, like one-off,
0: that you can put them through that you would recommend? I don't know about one-off. Obviously, DISC is there. DISC is pretty good. It'll get you in the ballpark. I think that's valid. I do know... Uh, predictive Index is another one that's better than Disc, not quite as good as Culture Index, but still very good. How much I'm is Culture sure. Index? Say that again. How much is Culture Index? I think it's seven grand annually.
1: Okay, if you're hiring, makes sense.
0: Predictive. Well, I, what was the it, other one? Predictive. Predictive Index very similar. I, I'm not. I honestly don't know the pricing. And I think what you look at too, Brian, is. We go, Ooh, like me too. I'm like seven grand. Ooh, I don't like that. But here's the thing. When I hire somebody and they f- fiddle around for 90 days for me to figure out that they're not the right fit, it actually costs me like seven times that amount of money. Not just in what I paid them, but in energy and time and training, boarding systems. It's mm-hmm. like, all right, the better I can get at hiring right the first time, that's good money spent. That's how mm. I, That's how I feel about it. Any
1: other advice in general for the, like, the last 10 minutes here about hiring? Because this is a completely new muscle. Like I've gotten really good at revenue. I've gotten really good sales and marketing. We're like, bringing in even cash flow management. That was a whole new skill. I was like, okay, we have to create a budget for the business. Yeah. Um, so we're doing profit first, Mike McAlowitz, Love it. Yeah, so that was a whole new thing. Is I had to completely change the business model because we, were, we had no MRR. So I was just like, holy shit. Like how do we? It's so unpredictable. I was like, how can I forecast cash flow to hire salary? And now we've completely changed that. So, Great any job. other advice on
0: on interviewing? Hey, what, just one small thing, and it's so simple. Call the references. In fact, when you're on the interview, say, "Hey, who was your? Who were your last two bosses?" And when they answer it, what I, what I would say is. Can you spell that for me? Do you have their phone number? And they'll give it to you. And then you say, how would they have rated you on a scale from 1 to 10? Okay, so now I've just written their name and phone number down. So now they know I'm going to call them. So now they're going to be a little more honest. If they say 5 or below, we're definitely out. If they say 10, they might be a little egotistical. I'm looking for that like 7 to 9. But you got confidence. Now it's imperfect, but... The, the tip is call the references and get a, a reference from them. Who, hey, who else worked there with you guys who knows this person really well? Can I get their name and contact info? Because if you're given references, they're going to be in favor of you. I want to get one layer deeper if I can. But definitely just take the time to call the references. It could avoid a disaster for you.
1: Okay. Is there... Like, would you do this with every role or are there some roles where you're like, okay, this really makes sense? And then the other ones you're like, oh, okay, this is a little bit more entry level. We don't have to do this. Or is this something that's an SOP for every role?
0: We, It, it is an SOP for every role for us. But yeah, the aperture of what you'll accept will change between an entry level role. And if you were hiring like a COO for a couple hundred grand a year, like... That person, I'm going to vet very deeply. Maybe an entry level person, I might just call a couple references. Say, yeah, like you're doing data entry. It's not that big of a deal. Got it.
1: Okay. Any red flags to look out for? What are some general rules of thumb when you're looking for a hire, whether it's somebody that's an underwriter, a cold caller, maybe those couple, maybe an EA, a VA, these first couple of hires? Like any red flags to look out for? Rules of thumb?
0: I'm looking for growth pattern. Like you're ascending through your timeline of your resume. I'm looking for gaps in employment and job hopping. Like If I see any of that stuff, it's a red flag that I want to dig into on the interview. If I see you are in five jobs in two years, it's okay. Something's going on where that didn't work out. I need to dig into that and figure out why that didn't work out for you. Why were you in five or six jobs in two years? Not, it could not be a bad thing, but it could also be this is a job hopper and you're just another stepping stone on the hop to the next job. Hmm. Any I other think, books that you'd recommend on hiring? I think, honestly, I'm, I'm a less is more guy. I love the Who book. It's, it's very tactical, like Traction, right? Traction is a great playbook. The Who book, literally, whole blueprint for hiring, questions to ask, the whole nine yards. It's wonderful.
1: The irony... Looking back on my career right now is as we wrap this up, is I they kept trying to promote me to sales manager. And I saw how miserable of an existence that was. And I was just like, there's no way in hell you're gonna make me a sales manager. And I told them no for three years. (laughs) Nope, not gonna do it. You're not gonna have me sitting in this office all day, like doing nothing and just having all of my like compensation based off of other people because I was not to that point yet. And The irony is now I wish that I would have gotten a little bit of hiring experience in my (laughs) W-2. Yeah, because this is a brand new muscle that I have to build.
0: That's like a standard shortfall of sales, though. Oh, crap. Brian's the killing it in sales. We should make him the sales manager. Does not translate. Doesn't translate. You could do it and you would be successful because of who you are. But that may you may. You're good at the thrill of the deal, closing the deal, like making the deal happen. That's what you live for. And I put you in this kind of goes back to that last example. I put you in this administrative role and you're like, dude, this sucks. It's only a matter of time before you're on to the next thing.
1: Yeah. And you're spot on because all it was PowerPoints, conference calls, paperwork, PowerPoints, conference calls, paperwork. I was just like, I saw the writing on the walls. I was like, so you're telling me if I do everything right, this is my path. I was like, oh, my God, this is hell like, I'm just walking down the bridge to hell right now. <laughs> and so that, that was what brought me away from it. But now it's leadership in your own business is different because it's the leverage and it's the ultimate leverage. And as I do these podcast interviews and shows like this, it's, I think even in go abundance, like a lot of guys are great investors, but the ones that are really killing it are the ones that are the great business owners. Because when you're a great investor, you're, that's your job is you're an investor. But the great business owners that are ones that are really good at hiring. If you ever have conversations like the champion level guys, like they're all talking about hiring and people. Yeah. And so they're like, man, I just got this rockstar CFO or I just got this, this person that's amazing, like this tax person. And so it's been, it's a really interesting new muscle to build. And I know I have to build it. So I'm not shortcutting it. So I'm going to go get that book. So where can people find you, man? Where can people find out more about you? What you do with real estate, the whole nine?
0: Yeah, you you just go to Instagram official Adam Whitney, Facebook, LinkedIn. I'm on all the I'm on all the standard socials. So come find me. Let's chat. I love helping people any way I can, and hopefully serve your audience. My dog made a cameo. If you heard my dog barking, I don't know if you hear that. <laughs> it's all pretty good. pumped. Yeah, man. I appreciate you though. This is the Action Academy is amazing. And just one real cool thing is we all start off and we find these groups and we start listening to people like you, Brian, and we're just inspired. And we think, man, that's crazy. I can't even imagine being there. But really, you, me, any of these people that you see on here were where you are today. And what they did was they found a way to get into a community, into Mm -hmm. education, or they just learned and they took action and I'm proof that it works. Brian's proof that it works. There's all these. It's just crazy that it's real. It's real. What I'm saying is it's real. So yeah. I love what you're doing, man. I love the Action Academy. I love all your stuff. So I appreciate you.
1: Thanks, buddy. It means a lot. And guys, like this is why you do it. If I would have just read the book, like who? Yeah, I could tell me the stuff, but I'm not able to talk and say, hey, Adam, like, what do you mean? Like all the references. OK, here's where this went wrong. Here's where that went wrong. It's all people. So I'm always able to ask people questions here. So that's my job now, which is amazing. So Adam, thank you so much for coming on, buddy. Awesome, brother. And with that, it's been Adam Bryan with the Action Academy Podcast. Signing off. Interview time, baby. (laughs) Hey, real quick. If you're still listening to today's episode, I'm assuming you got value from it. So I need your help specifically. My two-year vision with this show is to help over 1 million people do what they want, when they want, with who they want, and I can only do that with your help. There are two main ways that a podcast grows. One is through ratings and reviews, and the other is word of mouth. If you could please leave me a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as send this to one or two friends that you think would get value from it, we can reach the people that we're looking to reach. Thanks in advance. Talk tomorrow.